0: Y'all can talk about all these viruses, and that's good,
1: but you can't forget the main one. It's plaguing us, bro. It's time now for the People's the War Cold. Radio Cold. Show, Cold. where we do talk about the main virus.
2: And that is but colonialism. Cold.
0: Why I can't live. can't live. Colonial virus is why I can't, I can't Colonial virus, yo, that thing gotta go. You gotta we go. don't wanna yeah. have to deal with this virus.
1: Every week, here on the People's War Radio Show. We talk with healthcare workers,
2: activists,
1: revolutionaries,
2: authors, and
1: teachers, and regular people from the African community.
2: We aim to bring you an African internationalist analysis on all things important to winning our freedom from colonialism. The, the root of all our problems
1: why I'm poor, the colonial virus keeps me at war, the
0: Uhuru, welcome to the People's War Radio Show. I'm Dr.
2: Matsumella Oda. And I'm Dexter Mlamwingu. Uhuru means freedom in Swahili, and freedom is on our minds 24-7.
0: The new surge in COVID-19 in the United States is real. The surge is related to the highly contagious COVID-19 Delta variant. The Delta variant of COVID-19 was first noticed in India in December 2020. It subsequently spread rapidly through India, as well as places like South Africa, the United Kingdom, and Canada. The first United States cases of the Delta variant were found in March 2021.
2: As news of the Delta variant grew abroad, COVID-19 vaccines became widely available in the United States and around the world amidst much controversy. We can think back to April 2020, when two French doctors suggested COVID-19 vaccines to be tested on African people first. There has been widespread political resistance to COVID-19 vaccines. Some opportunists in the colonial media have intentionally spread misinformation about vaccines, even while being vaccinated themselves. Many Africans have remained rightfully skeptical because of the history of colonial medicine's experimentation on African people. About 56% of the U.S. population above the age of 12 had been vaccinated. But reports suggest that many of the unvaccinated have no plans on getting vaccinated.
0: Even amidst news of the COVID 19 Delta variant surges, states in the U.S. move forward with their plans to reopen. Some states, like Georgia, never really even closed. Popular vacation destinations such as Disneyland, Las Vegas, and popular zoos have all been open for some time now people from North America, Europe, and other colonizing nations resumed their travel plans to the Caribbean, Latin America, and Africa. The reboot of the tourist economy has led to increased COVID numbers in a variety of countries in Africa and the West Indies. It has now been reported that neocolonial leaders in countries like India and Tanzania were lying about their previous COVID numbers. Since the start of the pandemic, the Project Black Onc COVID-19 Commission, has been a steady source of honest information in the defense of the African working class. On today's episode of the People's World Radio Show, we have Dr. Aisha Fields. Dr. Fields is a physicist who has dedicated her skills for the development and empowerment of African people. She is the international director of the All African People's Development and Empowerment Project, ABDEP. A non-profit organization whose mission is to collectivize the vast skills of Africans around the world in order to establish community-based development projects that improve the quality of life for African people everywhere, while promoting self-reliance and self-determination as key to genuine sustainable development.
2: AbdiP has organized renewable energy, water purification, farming, healthcare, and ecological sanitation projects in West and Southern Africa. And community gardens in Washington, D.C., Houston, Texas, and Huntsville, Alabama. APDEP's Project Black Onk is a worldwide African emergency response organization. Since March 2020, Project Black Onk has mobilized volunteers to conduct health education and community support efforts to combat COVID 19. Project Black Onk was initiated during the Ebola crisis in Sierra Leone and was employed to assist Africans trapped in floodwaters in Houston during Hurricane Harvey where emergency aid was denied to the Black community. On Monday, July 26, 2021, Project Black Onc held a special episode of its Ask the Doctor series to present its updated protocols. Let's listen to an excerpt of this live address by Dr. Fields.
1: The purpose of today's address is to provide an overview of the current COVID situation and to share with our movement and the African nation as a whole the most updated Uhuru movement COVID-19 protocols developed by our Project Black Onc Medical Advisory Team. We know that confusion abounds as it relates to where we are right now in the life of this pandemic. What about vaccines? The Delta variant? Do we need to mask? If so, under what circumstances? These are questions that we know are on our people's minds and that we we plan to address in this brief live. Before going any further, I want to salute the members of our Project Black Onc medical advisory team, all of the members of the medical volunteer committee for our telehealth program, and our medical programs coordinator, Dr. Loretta King. I want to also salute Chairman Omalia Shetela, leader and founder of the Uhuru movement, and the African People's Socialist Party for establishing APDEP and Project Black Onc, and giving African patriots, those Africans who recognize our responsibility to the African nation and want to fight for a liberated Africa, the opportunity to do so. As of today, there have been more than 194 million reported cases of COVID-19 worldwide, and more than 4 million people have died from this virus. The US still leads the world in COVID-19 cases and deaths with more than 34 million cases and 610,000 deaths. African and indigenous people have been hardest hit by this colonial virus. African people within the US have disproportionately contracted COVID and at least one in three Africans have had a friend or family member who has died from this virus. Africans in Europe and other imperialist centers have also been affected disproportionately from COVID-19. And with more than 549,000 deaths officially reported in Brazil, the country with the second largest population of African people anywhere in the world Africans have certainly been deeply impacted there. South Africa, which accounts for over a third of total COVID-19 infections and 40% of deaths related to the disease on the African continent had, had seen a severe third wave of infections over the past month spurred by the Delta variant, but it appears that case numbers have begun to decline in recent days. After an initial sharp decline in new COVID infections in the US and other colonizer countries, due to the introduction of COVID vaccines, there is now a significant increase in cases, largely due to the worldwide spread of what has come to be known as the Delta variant. According to the CDC, the United States is once again seeing a rise in not only COVID-19 cases, but in hospitalizations and deaths. As of July 22nd, uh, 35% of US counties are experiencing high levels of community transmission. COVID-19 cases are on the rise in nearly 90% of US jurisdictions. And we are seeing outbreaks in parts of the country that have low vaccination coverage. As we have already said, these worrisome trends are believed to be uh, due in large part to the rapid spread of the highly transmissible Delta variant, a SARS-CoV-2 mutation that originally surfaced in India. The first Delta case was identified in December, 2020 and the strain spread rapidly, soon becoming the dominant strain of the virus in both India and then the UK. Toward the end of June, Delta had already made up more than 20% of the cases in the US according to the Centers for Disease Control and Prevention estimates. Today, Delta is the cause of more than 80% of new US COVID-19 cases. The World Health Organization has called this version of the virus, the fastest and fittest. Delta is spreading 50% faster than the Alpha variant, which itself was 50% more contagious than the original strain of SARS-CoV-2. In a completely unmitigated environment where no one is vaccinated or wearing masks, it's estimated that the average person infected with the original coronavirus strain will infect 2.5 other people. In the same environment, Delta would spread from one person to maybe 3.5 or four other people. The Delta variant appears to be around 60% more transmissible than the already highly infectious Alpha variant identified in the United Kingdom in late 2020. Preliminary evidence from England and Scotland suggests that unvaccinated people infected with Delta variant are about twice as likely to end up in the hospital compared with those infected with Alpha. But other data has shown no significant difference. And this information could change as the experts learn more. The Delta variant is 1000 times more infectious than the original version of the virus causing infections to spread very quickly. Whereas the original strain of the virus was thought to be able to infect someone who has been exposed in about 15 minutes, the Delta variant may spread in as little as 15 seconds. Cuba, the US, UK, Russia, and China are among some of the countries that have developed their own COVID vaccines. Despite having launched the largest vaccine campaign in human history, the vast majority of African people have no access at all to a COVID vaccine. In light of the surges of COVID, which are occurring worldwide, it is important to understand what this means for those of us who may be vaccinated and for those of us who are not. Here is what we know about some of the available vaccines and their effectiveness against infection with the Delta variant. In studies done in the UK, the Pfizer-BioNTech vaccine was shown to be 88% effective in keeping someone from getting a COVID infection and showing symptoms. It was 96% effective against hospitalization. Data out of Israel showed much less effectiveness of the Pfizer vaccine at reducing infection with symptoms. In Israel, it appeared that the Pfizer vaccine only kept about 41% of those vaccinated from getting COVID with symptoms. It did show though that it was about 91% effective at keeping people from getting so sick that they were hospitalized. The Oxford AstraZeneca vaccine, which is what most of our people in the Caribbean and other parts of the world outside of the US have access to was shown to be 60% effective against symptomatic disease and 93% effective against hospitalization. The studies track participants who were fully vaccinated with both recommended doses. Moderna has also reported on studies which are not yet peer reviewed that showed its vaccine to be effective against Delta and several other mutations. Johnson & Johnson has reported that its vaccine is effective against the Delta variant, showing only a small drop in potency compared with its effectiveness against the original strain of the virus. However, Um, Recent studies, which have not yet been peer-reviewed or published in a scientific journal, suggest that the J&J vaccine is less effective against Delta. So what does all of this mean? It means that while people who have been vaccinated against COVID-19 are susceptible to getting the Delta variant of COVID, which is the dominant strain of the virus in the US and many places around the world, If you are vaccinated and do get COVID, it is very unlikely that you will get severely ill. And it is even less likely that you will need to be hospitalized or will die. This protection is the most significant benefit of vaccination at this time. Right now in the US, 97% of those who are hospitalized with COVID-19 are unvaccinated and 99.5% of those who are dying are unvaccinated. While we know that vaccination against COVID-19 is a hotly disputed topic among African people, we urge you to check out APDEP's recent articles on the science of vaccines and some of the political considerations that have gone into helping us develop our position around COVID-19 vaccines for African people. To check them out, please go to our movement's online journal, which is www.theburningspear.com. Now that we have given a brief overview of what we understand about the overall COVID situation in light of the Delta variant, I want to share with you the Uhura Movement COVID-19 protocols that have been developed by the medical advisory team of APDEP's Project Black Onc. Our original protocols were developed in March of 2020 and have since been updated three times with the most recent updates on July the 22nd. These protocols are intended to give the Uhura Movement and African people as a whole direction in terms of how we should be moving in this period to reduce our likelihood of becoming infected with COVID-19. So our very first protocol uh, step in our protocol is to take steps to protect yourself and others. Vaccination against COVID-19 is recommended. Talk with your primary care doctor to discuss any health conditions you may have that might make vaccination not the right option for you. Take steps towards living a healthy lifestyle, including eating a diet rich in fruit and vegetables, engaging in regular exercise, getting plenty of rest, and taking other steps to build your immune system. Talk to your doctor and consider supplementing with vitamin C, vitamin D, and zinc. Moringa is a plant which can be available to African people on the continent and can be a good addition to the diet as well. Whether you are fully vaccinated or not, wear a mask at all times when indoor, in, in indoor public spaces. If you can keep your physical distance and will not be having any close-up conversations, masks are not necessary while outside. If unable to maintain physical distance while outdoors, masks should be worn. Continue to minimize your close interaction with others who are not in your household or who are at increased risk of COVID-19 complications. When such interactions are necessary, everyone should wear a mask. Make sure to wear your mask over your nose and mouth. Change your mask anytime throughout the day if it gets moist or soiled. Maintain a minimum physical distance of six to 10 feet from others not in your household when at all possible. This is especially important for those who are at higher risk for COVID-19 complications, including older adults uh, and people who have serious medical conditions like heart disease, diabetes, high blood pressure, cancer, lung disease, asthma, COPD, or any other respiratory illness, if you've had an organ transplant or are immunocompromised. Obviously, wash your hands often with soap and water for at least 20 seconds, especially after you've been in a public place, or after blowing your nose, coughing or sneezing. Soap and water are not readily available. Continue to use hand sanitizer that has at least 60% alcohol. Avoid touching your eyes, nose and mouth with unwashed hands and avoid contact with people who are sick. In terms of travel, if you are unvaccinated, you should only travel by bus, train or plane when necessary. Travel on cruise ships is not recommended even if fully vaccinated. For long distance travel by car, it is best to travel with those in your household or already established bubble. In terms of meetings, in-person indoor community meetings should not be considered at this time. Where possible, such meetings can happen outside with appropriate physical distancing and masking. Smaller departmental or organizational meetings can happen indoors with appropriate ventilation, masking and physical distancing. With the Delta variant COVID-19 symptoms seem to present at first more like a cold with a runny nose, sore throat and other upper respiratory infection symptoms. If you begin to experience any combination of the following symptoms, cough, headache, sore throat, sneezing, loss of taste or smell, shortness of breath or any difficulty in breathing, you should immediately contact your doctor or healthcare provider for medical advice. If you are a member of the Uhuru movement, please inform your direct leadership. If you would like to make an online appointment with APDEP's Project Black COVID-19 Telehealth program, please visit www.developmentforafrica.org telehealth. If you develop emergency signs for COVID-19, get medical attention immediately. Emergency warning signs include difficulty breathing or shortness of breath, persistent pain or pressure in the chest, new confusion or inability to arouse, or bluish lips or face. It's important to note that this is not an all-inclusive list, so you should please consult your medical provider if you have any symptoms that are severe or that are concerning to you. African people, our message to you is to continue to take COVID-19 seriously. Despite what appears to be in some places a return to complete normalcy, And others, an obvious deepening of the problems associated with this colonial virus. The pandemic is far from over. I want to end this special Ask the Doctors live presentation by again encouraging anyone and any African especially from around the world who may have COVID-19 related questions and concerns to make a free appointment with our COVID-19 International Telehealth Program. Uhuru.
0: That was Dr. Fields, Director of the All African People's Development and Empowerment Project and Project Black Unc, in her special COVID-19 update. To view this video in its entirety, go to the All African People's Development and Empowerment Project Facebook page. And also, be sure to visit their website, developmentforafrica.org, for up-to-date information on COVID-19 and other issues that are important to the development of the African nation. You are listening to the People's War Radio Show, produced by WBPU, Black Power 96.3 FM in St. Petersburg, Florida. Our guest today is Dr. Aisha Fields. We're now joined by Dr. Fields. Welcome back to the People's War Show, Dr. Fields.
1: Uhuru, thank you so much for having me.
0: Oh, uh, thanks. Thanks for being here. So, Dr. Fields, in your live address, you suggested that people get vaccinated to protect themselves from the severe effects of the highly contagious Delta variant. Now, you didn't come to this position easily. Can you explain that process for us?
1: Uhuru, yes. Uh, Thank you for that question. I think it's important to understand how we arrived at our decision to um, recommend that African people uh, take one of the available COVID-19 vaccines. I think it's important to understand how we came to that to make that recommendation because this is a really hotly debated topic among African people, whether to take the COVID vaccine or not. And many Africans have, um, have out, you know, just basically rejected any notion of, of taking it. And, and as you said in your introduction, a lot of that, you know, has to do with the relationship that African people have had for hundreds of years um, now as colonial, uh, subjects, um, who have undergone not only all kinds of experiences with colonial medicine, you know, being used as Guinea pigs and having all sorts of, you know, horrible experiences with the medical establishment. Um, but because of the, you know, the relationship generally speaking that African people have, um, to this system. And so it makes a lot of sense to really, you know, to question whether or not um, it is in our best interest to take um, one of these COVID vaccines, especially since a lot of um, what we may understand about vaccines has just really, really been new. I, I don't think it's something we typically discuss in the community. What is the science of vaccines? How are they developed? We just know that there's a pandemic and that something very quickly has been developed that we're supposed to believe is, you know something good for us. Um, and it's very good to be skeptical. Uh, the reality, though, is that um, in really looking at the situation that we're confronted with, um, with the COVID pandemic, we had to look at whether or not, um, and when I say we now, I'm talking about APDEP's Project Black oncological Advisory Team really um, set out to look at what available data was out there uh, regarding many of the vaccines that um, that are available that would be um, accessible to African people um, in various parts of the world. So not only looking at the data, you know, what the, the, the trial data looked like for the vaccines and what we understood about how the vaccines, the various vaccines were developed because all of the vaccines that are available, you know, were not made in the same fashion. They all have different approaches to having been developed. So looking at The data, looking at how they were developed, um, and then also looking at the political situation that would require this vaccine to be um, developed, these vaccines to be developed in the first place. We're looking at a worldwide pandemic. This is something that is affecting the whole of the planet and is something that has um, disrupted the whole entire um, you know, imperialist world economy, um, which means that the the ruling class, who really we we're, we're resisting when we say we don't want to take these vaccines and not having trust in in you know in any kind of just or good decisions that they would make for the people, especially African people. But they have a contradiction because um, when the when the economy, the world economy is grinding to a halt, that means that they can't you know. They can't have the things that they've had. They can't project their power into the future um, in the same way when they have so much uncertainty, with you know, with you know, that's been brought about by this pandemic. So it's really not uh, in the interest of, let's say, the United States government, um, uh, you know, or even European governments at this time to develop a vaccine that would harm people um, because their health even and the health of their children um, is tied to this pandemic being over unlike a disease that uh, like let's say cancer that you can't give to someone else this is a virus that can be easily transmitted and um, and can be transmitted worldwide so we're all connected so in order to even safeguard the health um, of the ruling class and the general white population, um, they have to ensure that this virus is not something that is spreading among other um, other people um, who they might not generally be concerned about in terms of our health. Um, another aspect of that is that our chairman, the chairman of the African People's Socialist Party, uh, Omalia Shatela, who leads the who movement, has helped us to understand as well that the United States, Europe are in competition economically, politically, with China, with Russia, and even to a certain extent with Cuba, all of whom have developed their own vaccines. Um, And and so for there to be vaccines um, that are developed that would be intentionally or even not intentionally out there, you know, um, harming or killing people is not in the interest of the United States government or the European governments to do, you know, since they're competing in so many ways with other countries that have developed their own COVID-19 vaccine. So there are a lot of ways in which, um, we've had to look at this, this question in terms of the science, in terms of the political situation that have, um, made us reach the conclusion that, um, We have to really seriously consider um, all of us as Africans everywhere being vaccinated. And in fact, our commission um, has recommended that African people uh, become vaccinated against COVID-19 for all those reasons that I've laid out.
2: Uh Oh, director. Yeah, I really appreciate that. I really appreciate just the the very unique analysis, the African international analysis that ApDep has used in, in getting to the bottom of this. And you kind of already touched on this. Um, but as far as, you know, this uh, the COVID-19, there's a whole lot of misinformation about COVID-19 and, and the vaccines out there. So what's some of the misinformation that you've come across?
1: Yeah, so I've, I've come across quite a few things that are really, yeah, problematic in a lot of ways. And I'm sure you have too. Um, I know earlier, before it was even declared a pandemic that people were hearing about COVID-19, there was a lot being put out about African people not being able to get COVID like, like melanin, or there was some other mechanism within African bodies that would not allow us to even get COVID-19, which was um, obviously untrue. um, And something that I think really disarmed our people in the very beginning I think we've all heard that, um, and I think it was especially true earlier in the pandemic that this was actually not a virus, that this was somehow related to some other kind of activity related to 5G towers or some other kind of phenomenon, but that it wasn't um, a virus. That was something that has, I think, also um, served to really disarm African people, from taking this virus seriously and taking the precautions necessary to um, you know, to protect ourselves and our community. Um, you know, I think in this more recent period, uh, there've been a lot of things about masks not being necessary that have been harmful. There and there've been a lot of even interesting, um, very imaginative things about Um, vaccines causing people to harm other people if they've not been vaccinated. So there have been a variety of like really, um, I think, problematic uh, bits of uh, misinformation that have been put out there that we have to contend with as we try to uh, make sure that African people are constantly moving based on best practices to protect ourselves from COVID-19 infection
0: oh yeah thanks for that thanks for that because as you know the uh, misinformation it hasn't been uh what you might say you, you, you know you know it hasn't been harmless right and and i've seen you know the people who were the 5g people you know they haven't swayed they've just moved from one conspiracy theory to another uh but the one thing we'd like to say is you know we, we this isn't, you know, we, we understand that it has a colonial virus, but it's, you know, it's, it's plain in front of us. And it's really up to us to make it plain for other people. That's why, you know, like I said, the misinformation has underscored the importance of Project Black Onk and the People's War Against the Colonial Virus campaign that you all led. Dexter and I are members of the African People's Socialist Party, So are you. We have been following the protocols that you put forward. It is my feelings that the COVID-19 protocols that you all have put forward have largely protected people in our movement, our families, and our communities. I remember uh, my mom took the poster and she put it uh, on the outside of her home uh, in the housing project in which she lives, right, to educate the community, you know, Uh so, what are some impacts of the COVID-19 protocols that you all have seen?
1: Thank you for that question and I am really pleased to know that people in throughout the African community in you know in the United States and um on the continent of Africa specifically in South Africa have found these protocols um in the posters and the and the brochures that we've developed that we put those protocols in helpful. And I think not just in the United States and in, in um, South Africa, but the, the protocols themselves have been made available to African people everywhere we are. Um, and so I think that what has been helpful about the protocols is that because there's been obviously so much, as we talked about before, misinformation about COVID-19, there's been so much Obvious, there's been such a lack of of clear leadership from you know from most governments that African people are having to live under at this time. That you know that it's just caused a lot of confusion. How do we move? You know what 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 do we do? What do we not do? And what the protocols have set out to do is to in every period they've been updated uh, several times over the over the you know, the last period to reflect the conditions, generally speaking, associated with the pandemic. But I think, yeah, I think they've helped to give um, some direction about, you know, what it is that we should be doing in terms of um, uh, mask wearing, when it's appropriate to wear a mask, under what circumstances should we maybe um, not, you know, have to mask or, or should we mask? It's helped us to understand some things that we can do, um, to, um, improve our immune systems. You know, what is it that, um, we should be adding to our daily routine that can help to put our bodies in the best possible position to, um, to fight, uh, COVID-19 should, you know, you know, should we be exposed to it? Um, and it's, you know, in the earlier parts of the pandemic, some of the protocols also um, had to do with things that we could, um, you know, stock up on, how we could deal with quarantine, you know, what are some things that we need to be mindful of um, living in quarantine, um, you know, for what, at the time, we didn't know for how long, you know, that would be. So I think the protocols have just generally given us a, a source that we can trust that um, is helping us to navigate the waters. And I think it's important that it, it has come from us because it's not that there haven't been protocols or recommendations that are all over the place. You can go to the CDC, you can go to WHO, you can go to your local health department, you can go to a variety of places and find you know, um, do's and don'ts for COVID-19, how you should move. But I think what is important for us and why we have to do that is because none of these are really sources that we could say are are putting the African nation's best interests at the forefront. Um, you know, they don't necessarily have the history of, you know, of just of, of, of concern for our people. So for the protocols, which may in many instances be similar to what you might find in other places, the fact that it's coming from the Uhura movement, the fact that it's coming from APDEP and African Doctors um, and other um, healthcare professionals who have a track record and who have made a commitment to um, use their skills uh, to address and improve um, and to safeguard the health of, of African people around the world is what makes it most powerful.
0: Hooroo, uh-huh, uh-huh. thanks for that. You are listening to the People's War Radio Show, produced by WBPU. Black Power 96.3 FM in St. Petersburg, Florida. Our guest today is Dr. Aisha Fields.
2: So, Project Black Onk began the fight against the Ebola virus. Dr. Aisha, how did your leadership in the fight against Ebola enable your fight against COVID?
1: Well, I appreciate that question. I mean, um, as you said, Project Black Onk was initiated in t- 2014 in response to the Ebola um, epidemic, which hit primarily West Africa. And at the time we had, um, some of our, I think some of our oldest and, uh, oldest programs after programs on the ground in Sierra Leone at that time. And what we realized was that, you know, um, things happened really quickly. I mean, things went from relative, you know, normal daily life to a situation where people were essentially like, you know, living in quarantine and an absolute fear of, of Ebola, which is a really very frightening kind of disease. And we didn't have the ability to immediately like intervene with providing direct care to Ebola, um, people who had contracted Ebola, but we recognized that immediately that we had a responsibility to respond. Um, and our chairman, um, you know, gave us the vision and called on us to to use this you know that period to develop what became Project Black Onk or the African Nations, what we call as the African Nations response to the Red Cross, our own um, emergency preparedness and disaster response organization. And I think uh, what we learned there that uh, that has really helped us in this uh, period of uh, COVID nineteen is first of all to recognize that we have to act. You know, um you know mo- like we have to be able to immediately make plans to d- despite whatever our capacity might be and and at times you know our capacity might be very limited but based on whatever our capacity is we have to respond. And African people you know have to have this organization Project Black Onc again, as our very own, you know, international African response organization to be able to support, to be able to do that. So that was the first thing that we we knew immediately based on our experience with Ebola that we had to act. Um, I think some of the other things we learned that were applicable were that there wasn't going to be any kind of support uh, coming from um, any government, that there wasn't going to be any government on the face of the earth working to solve african people's problems with respect to uh covid and that we were going to have to you know do it ourselves so we were, we ha- we were clear on that and also recognizing that we have tremendous skills that's something that really became even more evident in our work to build project on during the uh d- during the ebola epidemic which was that there are african people all around the world who have tremendous skills, who want to, you know, who want to be able to be a part of an organized process to contribute to solving the problems, whatever they, they are. And so I think with our COVID work, we knew, again, we knew we had to act. We knew that even though we didn't have an immediate, um, capacity, perhaps, to to sum up COVID, that we could find the skills, we could make the call for Africans around the world to join a process that would help us to develop that strategy, which we did. Um, and then we also knew that it was going to have to be a combination of summing things up politically, like giving our people an, an understanding of what they were looking at, not only in terms of the science of Ebola or the science of, of what's going on with COVID-19, but to be able to understand how things are playing out in the world with respect to Ebola, with respect to COVID-19, to be able to sum it up politically and be able to see what factors might be at play that would, you know, that would, that would impact African people in the, in this period. And then to, we knew that, um, that we were uh, through that going to have to, yeah, not just sum it up, but to develop, to develop a clear program that could meet the needs of our people, which is what we've um, done through our international COVID-19 telehealth program, and which um, you know we also did during the Ebola period, where we developed uh, uh, community health workers trainings, um, where we connected with Ebola survivors and their families, and provided them with food and water and sanitation supplies. There had to be a, a practical uh, and 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 very helpful aspect of what we did, and and so I think. Yeah, we've learned a lot from since our 2014, um, you know, development of Project Black Onk. And I think that in this period, I think we've just really seen that this is the organization, um, Project Black Onc, that has to continue to be developed uh, to be able to respond to all of the ways in which African people are being impacted um, by, you know, colonial uh, disasters and, and emergencies.
0: Thanks for that, because the coronavirus pandemic has further exposed the crisis of neocolonialism in Africa. On the one hand, you had neocolonial leaders like Cyril Ramaphosa of South Africa, who opened this country to German and British scientists, letting his own people be guinea pigs. On the other hand, you had people like the late John Magufuli of Tanzania, who basically decided to lie about the COVID numbers coming out of his country. Despite their different actions, how does the responses of both these neo-colonial African politicians represent two sides of the same coin? I think that's a really important question. And I think that what
1: we have to um, really understand is that when we're looking at the continent of Africa, when we're looking at the Caribbean, when we're looking at the United States, when we're looking at African politicians anywhere, whether they're presidents, prime ministers, mayors, city council, people, um, with maybe very rare exception, what we're looking at is neocolonialism. What we're looking at is uh, white power and blackface. We're looking at people who may have the same cultural traditions as us, um, or as the masses of African people we're looking at people who may, eat, you know, eat the same food, talk the same language, but who are not there to meet the needs of 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 our people. They're not there to meet our needs. They're there to facilitate the agenda of of the white ruling class. They're there to facilitate the agenda that works in the interests of the general white population and that you know their payoff for that is, financial, you know, it's, uh, being able to educate their children, have good vacations, whatever, whatever their payoff is, there's one there that they're not, they're not there to meet our needs. So they're different flavors, you know, they're different, they're different flavors. Um, you know, uh, and some, and sometimes to even meet their own ideas about who they, how they want to be seen or who they, you know, what they think uh, they want their legacy to be, or, you know, whatever kind of subjective factors may come into play, or even objective factors for why they may take one stand versus another, let's say on this question of COVID-19. But at the end of the day, neither one of those um, forces um, have been working to resolve the problems of African people in those neocolonial borders at all, even prior to COVID. So it would only make sense that that they would not have an agenda that is going to work in the interest of the masses of African people, you know, after, um, COVID or in the period of COVID, um, because that's not what they're there to do. So, um, yeah, whether it's denying that COVID exists, um, or whether it's, uh, attempting to, um, you know, just open African people up to whatever the, you know, the, uh, colonial medical establishment wants to to do in terms of using Africa as a laboratory or, or in some cases, it's attempting to use the COVID situation perhaps to have access to, uh, more resources or greater loans, um, you know, in the name of fighting COVID-19, whatever it may be, when the agenda is not the agenda to solve the problems of the people. Um, uh, the agenda is just not to solve the problems of the people. And that's why we have to have the African People's Socialist Party, the Uhuru Movement, um, the various organizations of the Uhuru Movement be built everywhere we possibly can because what we're fighting for is a future where we can have our own government that is there explicitly to use the resources, both human and material, of, of African people. To to meet our needs, to create the healthcare systems, to create the vaccines if need be, to develop the scientific institutions, to build the roads, to you know to build the farms, to build the factories, whatever we need to create uh, the life that African people uh, want and deserve. So, yeah, that's where we have to go. And when we're looking at anything other than something explicitly fighting for that, we're looking at um, neocolonialism heads or tails.
2: Yes, Director. Thank you for that. Thank you. I really appreciate that. And that's why it's just uh, an analysis on on neocolonialism and, and how these neocolonial leaders function is so, so important to have. Because when I think of the contradictions, the issues with uh, Magufuli in particular, I think of the class contradictions embedded in Pan-Africanism. So in the WHO movement, you know, we're not pan-Africanists, we're African internationalists. Um, how does African internationalism guide the mission of APDEP and Project Black Onk in this fight against the coronavirus?
1: African internationalism is the theory of the African working class. It is the it is the theory of practice. It's a philosophy that not only helps us to explain the world and explain how African people find ourselves no matter where we are on the face of the earth, experiencing the most horrible colonial conditions. Um, but it gives us the ability, gives us the vehicle, it gives us the, the tactics and the strategies to be able to change the world. And um, that I think is probably the greatest gift um, that the party and our chairman, um, Af- uh, Omalia chatella have given African people and have given to the world. And that is the ability to see the world as it really is. And to give us all the ability, no matter who we are, to um, participate in, in our own liberation. And that, you know, African internationalism is, is that. Um, Pan-Africanism is not that. And one of the things that um, that I think we should, yeah, really try to understand is that If we're not uh, uh, really putting forth strategies to move African people away from, to totally transform this relationship um, that has us so vulnerable, not only to the colonial coronavirus, but to everything, just in daily life. If we're not developing, um, you know, uh, strategies and, and bringing them forth into the world and creating institutions and organizations and campaigns to do that. Um, then, yeah, then, then we're not, we're not really doing much at all. And I think the whole question of, um, of class, I think is really important for us to understand too, and why the party um, makes it clear that we understand that the social force that has to lead the African liberation movement is the African working class. I think that's such an important, you know, kind of statement to make and understanding to have and and it and it's because it is the african working class that has does not have in its material interest um keeping things the way they are or even just tweaking it a little bit That it is in the african working class's material interest to smash this oppression that we find ourselves living in and and i think pan africanism obviously it it does not um make that understanding it doesn't have that understanding and it, it oftentimes neo-colonialism is not something that pan-africanists can indict or pan-africanism is prepared to indict and if we don't understand the class question if we don't understand neocolonialism if we don't understand that the african working class has to lead this this movement in order for it to be to to reach a successful conclusion if we don't have a theory that that doesn't just make us feel good but that puts us on the path to changing the world then that's not a a theory or philosophy worth um worth holding on to so i really appreciate and hold high the fact that as members of the uhura movement and african people's socialist party we have such a theory um and that african internationalism is that theory
2: oh thank you thank you for that yeah, yeah, that that's a distinction right there. I mean, you know the class analysis that we have, um, you know the trajectory that we're on, the focus that we have on uh, on the African working class that that no one else has. So I really appreciate that. Also, I, I kind of laughed that uh African internationalism is that and pan-africanism is not that. <laughs> that should be uh, on a t-shirt. Thank you,
0: director. Oh, oh, yeah. Thanks for that as well, uh, Director Fields. Project Black Onc and the All African People's Development and Empowerment Project has risen to the occasion and provided the leadership the African nation has needed over the last 16 months. What have been some of the successes during this campaign and how are those successes guiding the future plans of Project Black Onc?
1: Uhuru, yeah, I can say that that there have been some really important successes of this campaign. I think the initial work that was done to develop um, our protocols, our COVID-19 protocols, and for the Uhuru movement organizers, uh, some of whom are members of APDEP, but many of whom were not, you know, but they were members of the African People's Socialist Party, members of other mass organizations of of the African People's Socialist Party, like NPDOM, ANWO, um that you know that moved as foot soldiers to make sure that the african um working class communities in their area had access to those protocols and these were it this was in a period when um it wasn't i mean i think the the cdc hadn't even yet maybe said that masks were something that people should be concerned about. And our protocol said that they we needed to mask. And we didn't really know what we were looking at. We didn't know if we had to wash your groceries and keep your mail outside your door for a certain period of time before you brought it in the house. It was a tremendous uncertainty. And, and our organizers um, recognizing the responsibility that they had to, um, to to get these protocols out to our people, was um, really incredible to see. And I believe Comrade Dexter was one of the comrades who was involved in distributing those protocols in his community. So I just I think that was a really tremendous um, and it led really important success of of um, of our work in this, in this period. Uh, one of many, I think the development of our international COVID-19 telehealth program has been another important success. We've been able to, through that program, um, have appointments with Africans in Europe, in in Africa, and in various parts of the United States. We've been able to recruit uh, really, um, in, you know, like dynamic uh, uh, help, uh, medical professionals into this process. I think we've had a lot of a great wins, and I can only see uh, a, a much uh more uh, capacity to to take these kind of questions on in the future based on the successes that we've had up to now.
2: Oh yeah thank you for that director. And yes, yes, I was I was one of the people out there. Um you know and I, I can remember, you know, just just briefly um, I remember being out there you know early on in the in the pandemic, and um I just remember um you know the African communities people, the, the people's face really lighting up when they when they received those first on um, those first protocols, and they're first exposed to to ABDEP, when they're first exposed to um, you know an entity that was really targeting them and making sure that our people were equipped to to face this pandemic. Um, I remember the people being very, very excited about that. So I really just want to salute again just the work that AppDep has done. Um, over the course of this pandemic and beyond. So um, you know, with that being said, how can our listeners get involved with Project Black Onk?
1: For anybody who wants to be a part of Project Black Onc um, or any of the APDEP programs, and this is whether you're a medical professional or not, whether you have what can obviously be called some kind of specialized skills or not, we all have skills that we can bring to the table. And the greatest... The greatest thing that we could bring to the table um, is unity with developing these programs and with the African nation having its own ability to respond to natural disasters and to uh, emergencies that occur, or to you know respond to the, the needs of our people around health, around agriculture, around education. So, if 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 that is you, if if you want to be a part of this process, then you can be a part of this process, and I'll invite you to do that, you can go to our website which is developmentforafrica.org. And if you go to one of our tabs, either developmentforafrica.org slash join or develop to join or developmentforafrica.org slash uh, volunteer, um, you can fill out either of those forms there. If you know you want to join, we welcome you. We invite you to do that. If you think you want to begin volunteering, we welcome that. And um, you can check us out there and we can get an orientation started for you straight away and we can find out the best way to get you plugged in. So I really want to invite people to do that. So you can, again, you can check us out on our website, developmentforafrica.org. We're also on Facebook. We're on Instagram. Um, And if email is your thing, you can always send us an email at info at developmentforafrica.org.
2: You have been listening to the People's World Radio Show. Our guest today was Dr. Aisha Fields. Our theme song, Colonial Virus was written and performed by Alikia Ngoma. And thanks to the People's War Radio Show production, research, and promotions team, including Jaja Robinson, Empress Livewire, and Epipsa Panda. So we say, Down with the Colonial Virus. Down with
1: the Colonial Virus. This has been the People's War Radio Show. Produced by WBPU Black Power Radio at 96.3 FM in St. Petersburg, Florida.
2: WBPU is a project of the African People's Education and Defense Fund, the baddest nonprofit on the planet, whose mission is to defend the human and civil rights of the African community and address the grave disparities faced by African people in education, health care, and economic development.
1: For more information on the African People's Education and Defense Fund, visit apedf.org.
0: Episodes of the People's War Radio Show are available on the Black Power Talks podcast. For updates and resources to fight the coronavirus or to volunteer with Project Black Onk,
2: visit developmentforafrica.org.
1: Thank you for listening. Colonial virus. Mass incarceration, that's colonial virus.